Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Among the many concerns dividing the nation today, the wall and border issues stand at the top of the list, or very close to it. We watch it play out on television. St. Louis Rabbi Susan Talvey of Central Reform Congregation has seen it firsthand at the border and south of it in Guatemala. She's written about the experience in the Jewish light and now joins us in studio to tell us about it. Susan, nice to see you again. Good to see you, too. Thank you. Welcome home, as we say. Thank you. What sort of a trip was this that you took to Guatemala? I was part of a group of 15 rabbis who were chosen to be Global Justice Fellows by the American Jewish World Service. American Jewish World Service is an organization that is in 19 different countries, gives over $30 million a year to grassroots organizations working for human rights in those countries. Um, And we went to Guatemala to meet the grantees and also to uh, meet at the American Embassy with our staff there. It was during the shutdown as well, so you can imagine (laughs) they were not very happy. But um, this wasn't just the trip of those eight days in Guatemala. We prepared for this trip. We had webinars, we had seminars, we had in-person presentations that really readied us to um, be able to understand the American role in Guatemala, the humanitarian concerns, and in March, we'll be going back. We'll be going to be together, and we're going to uh, Washington, D.C. to meet with our legislators to let them know what we think we can be doing better. After this preparation, were you ready for what you found in Guatemala? I don't think you're ever ready to see suffering. Mm -hmm. You're never ready to see such disparity and such poverty. Um, but what we were ready for was uh, to be able to ask the right questions, mm-hmm. I think, of especially of the grantees. We met with uh, human rights organizations that are the watchdogs of the other human rights organizations. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how there's, there's so little accountability and so much impu- impunity there that um, there has to be an organization that watches out for the legal assistance that people mm-hmm. have. For um, the press, you know, we met with a, a, a young, a group of young press people who are determined to tell the truth and not have any spin. And, you know, they risk their lives every day. One of the women that we met was a dentist by day. She has three small children, and I'm really not allowed to say her name or put up her picture, though we really had a, quite an, an amazing time together when she told us what they have to do to get to be able to tell the story of what's happening uh, in Guatemala on the ground today. Well, we'll talk in some detail about mm-hmm. what is happening on the ground, but we should point out that what is happening on the ground is what is what's causing so many of them yes. to leave the country and head right. northward. Yeah, and that was the you know that was the message of the of the embassy. You know, if you really want to respond to the terrible migration uh, situation that we have. You've got to raise the level of quality of life in Guatemala. And the current president and our administration right now is not doing that. And if they really are concerned with the migration and with people coming to our border, they would not be throwing out the one organization uh, called CICIG. It's, um, it stands for the um, International uh, uh, Coalition of um, impunity in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, a United Nations-based group 
that in the last 10 years has made tremendous progress in bringing people to justice because there was a 30-year genocide in Guatemala, and they're bringing people to justice now. But, you know, right before we were there, that week before, the current president, who's a popular guy, you know, he's a comedian on TV. This is the uh, Guatemalan familiar. president. Yep. Yeah, yep. Jimmy Morales. Mm-hmm. So he kicked out, he kicked this group out. Mm-hmm. He kicked out. And, you know, they call the um, Velasquez, the, Mr. Velasquez, who is the, he's from Colombia, but he's the head of this Sisig group, this watchdog group that's bringing people to justice finally. And he, 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 um, they, they're calling uh, Velasquez kind of the, the Guatemalan Mueller. You know, Mm -hmm. and it was interesting that he he got kicked out right before we got there. And we got there, which, you know, I kind of recognized Mm -hmm. in the middle of protests. The people, because they had a little bit of hope in the last 10 years, they were empowered to protest. Um, And they got up and they protested. There were thousands and thousands of people on the streets of Guatemala City when we got there. And how were the protests treated? I mean, how were they handled? Well, we also saw the police. Yeah. And, you know, we were guarded from, because we, you know, we were, you know, we were, we were guests in the country, so we had to be very careful. But we, do, we also saw a lot of police, a lot of police presence in military you, gear. Some of the things you've been saying about, uh, you know, why the people are fleeing and what the situation is in Guatemala, and we should, as a country, be doing more to stop the northward flow by helping improve conditions mm-hmm. there. Do you have any reason to believe that the organization that uh, you traveled with, the, would, the World Jewish Service, would have any impact on its report in Washington? I don't know. I, I mean, I think that's a really good question. I mean, if, if, demo- if we still have a democracy and the people are saying we want our American mm-hmm. government, to, to re-empower CICIG and, and keep this watchdog group in Guatemala. to um, and, and, you know, I think we also have to, to recognize that we have history in Guatemala. In the 30s, the you know, United Fruit Company took land and made its presence there. And, you know, and then in the 40s, as the Guatemalans tried to take that land back and instituted social reforms like Social Security and and land reappropriation to indigenous farmers. And then in the 50s when, ah, you know, the Dulles brothers mm-hmm. who had in, interests, monetary interests in Secretary the- Secretary of State and- Yes, uh, and his brother. And his brother, right, the CIA. CIA, yeah. with the two uh, brothers who both had mm-hmm. economic interests in the United Fruit Company why the CIA came in and got this government, their government out and put our puppets in that started this terrible civil war for for 30 years that ended up, we called Operation Success in America and they, we know now was a genocide. How how do they see us today? Were you there long enough to, (laughs) you know, really get a handle on that? Because we were meeting with these grassroots groups. They love us because Without the foreign aid, without different groups, humanitarian groups from around the world helping these NGOs on the ground, there would be no hope. Mm-hmm. When we were there, there were two bills introduced into the, um, into the legislature. The first one was to end the impunity. I mean, end every, everything that um, um, that that CC has been able to do 
and and let all the the perpetrators of the genocide go free and and not hold them accountable and the second was to limit the amount of money that foreign groups can give to grassroots groups we support a group of midwives hundreds and hundreds of midwives in the area of the country where it's mostly indigenous people these midwives are amazing first of all they don't get paid for their work they 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 all they're very poor but this is a calling for them and we met with them and the first thing we did was pray i mean it was the holiest thing they're amazing and they um they are even though right now it's illegal to provide midwife services to the poor but there are no clinics for the poor to go to so without these midwives the poor women the indigenous women would have nobody to deliver their babies and take care of them they provide health care to these to the indigenous women these hundreds and hundreds of midwives who feel called to do this, like Schiffer and Pua. I mean, mm. I felt like it was, you know, it was. I was right back in the Exodus story. Mm. And these women were wonderful. They took us to their homes. They showed us what they do. They shared with us the herbs and the salves that they use to save lives. Mm. They shared their stories with us. And without the economic assistance of outside groups like American Jewish World Service and others, these women wouldn't have anything. The mm-hmm. government isn't going to give them money. So. You know, I've always been impressed by how generous the very poor are. Oh, and I've yes. spent some time in Central America, yes. and uh, it is so true. They just give everything they have to a stranger. Of course. Yeah. They, and they did to us. They, they gave us lunch. They yeah. made lunch for yeah. us. They took us to their homes. And this was true with every group we, we met with. We met with, you know, one of the women that I'll never forget, this um, young young woman um, who had traveled 27 hours to meet with us with three of her friends, three buses, and it wasn't easy, you could tell. And she came because we're supporting this group of indigenous women who are trying to change the culture of getting education for women. She's the oldest of 10 in her family, and she convinced her father to let her be educated. He was not going to have any of that. But in less than a generation, the culture has changed in her family. Mm. However, the frustrating thing was that when she she told us this, she said, look, I have education now. I can read and write. Mm. I can help my brothers and sisters. I can help other women. But I have no hope for getting a job Mm. here because there's so much poverty. I, I was just about to ask you if there's any sense of optimism, given the corruption and the repression, if you detected any optimism at all about the future. Well, if I have a message for Americans, it's to get on the phone and call our representatives and tell them that we want CC to be back in uh, Guatemala, this watchdog group, this United Nations watchdog group, is, was really making a difference. And if anything was giving the people hope, and especially these grassroots groups, these grassroots groups hope it was this watchdog group, this mm-hmm. CC group that was um, helpful. And that was giving people hope. But now that it's been kicked out, I think people are starting to feel, and especially if those, if, if the perpetrators of the genocide are let out of jail, people will once again uh, feel hopeless. And we will see more people coming to our border. And, you know, one of the things that drew me in were those two Guatemalan children that died on our border. I was about to ask about that, too, Mm -hmm. because uh, the people you talked to certainly had to be aware of that. Oh, yes. You know, um, 
it, with every group, I, we brought up Jacqueline and Felipe, mm-hmm. those two seven- and eight-year-old little children that died on our border, and they said, yes, we know about that. Mm-hmm. And they're watching. They're watching to see how they're, how we treat them. They, they know what's going on. Oh, yes. They do. Have to take a break. We're talking with Rabbi Susan Talvi of St. Louis about her recent trip to Guatemala. We'll continue that conversation in just a moment and also talk about some time she spent on the uh, U.S.-Mexican border prior to this most recent trip. Back to uh, continue with Susan Talvi in a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by Lindenwood University's Hammond Institute for Free Enterprise, examining market approaches to help solve economic and social issues. Hammond.Institute. Now back to our conversation with Susan Talvey, following her recent uh, trip to Guatemala. I have a note here from one of our producers with a great question. You were part of a group of faith. What's the role of faith in Guatemala? And how were you as a rabbi received in a traditionally Catholic country? It's mm, a very good question. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, it, it's a traditionally Catholic country, but the Catholic Church was persecuted there as well in, mm. in many ways and has a complicated history mm. there. And now it's evangelical. It's oh. an evangelical country. And what was so interesting is everywhere you see Yahweh, you see Shalom. We, we're looking out of one of our hotels, we saw Sinai, <laughs> you know, and, and so the names are very biblical. And it's it's an evangelical country now, which mm-hmm. is, I'm not quite sure what that means. But I, I do think that we were... Um, we were welcomed as people of faith, especially by the midwives. <laughs> you know, they got that we were there because we, we this is our, you know, our, our tradition says God is drawn into mm-hmm. the story by the suffering of the people and that our role is to be with the most vulnerable and, um, and to not forget that everyone is in the image of God. And so um, I think they understood that we were there as a faith group precisely because we recognize the suffering and because we also are taking responsibility for our role in um, the corruption and the terrible poverty and the disparities in a- Guatemala. Any kind of contact being maintained with the people you met down there yes. now that you're back home? You know, um, the American Jewish World Service has uh, staff there as well that help the grantees uh, do their work and keep them safe, actually. And we hear from them now regularly. We have um, wonderful relationships, you know. It's all about relationships, Mm -hmm. isn't it? It's about building relationships of trust. Mm -hmm. And I think we we did that. Uh, We were able to do that. I think even meeting with the USAID people at the embassy was interesting and hearing what they need from us. Do you think we're getting a true picture through the media of what's going on uh, south of our border? No. Um, and I don't, I don't blame the media for that so much as, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, um, you know, it's just unfair that this administration is um, making the picture that the people coming to our border are, um, are a threat to us. They're not. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're really people who are desperate, the people who leave their homes. I mean, we, we, one of the people who works for the American Jewish World Service in Guatemala is a young man who um, 
is uh, was watched his mother be killed in front of him during mm-hmm. the Civil War, and his family fled to Mexico. And then he was called back, really, by his passion for human rights. He came back to work, and he did for a long time without getting paid, worked on the streets just to try to help the indigenous people have a voice and have their rights. So I I think we need to know each other better. I think, um, you know, I I think we have to to do a better job of telling the stories of the Mm -hmm. people who are coming. Did you talk Why? to any people there who might have indicated they were getting ready to, to head north? Well, I think they're getting the point. They're getting, they're getting the message that, um, you know, that our borders are not open. I, I just read, I, I heard that this was happening. I don't know if this is true. But was one of the stories we got was that the American government um, did an arms deal with Mexico hmm. to in 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 with a trade to have the Mexican government grant asylum to the people coming from the global south. And then once they, they take asylum from Mexico, then they don't, they're not, um, they can't get asylum from the United States anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just a, a terrible trick. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's not nice. That's not right. I had seen something recently indicating that there was some sort of an, an arrangement made whereby they would uh, stay in Mexico rather than continue to proceed northward. Because once they're granted asylum in Mexico, they can't get no. asylum in the United States. Well, you spent some time on the, the U.S.-Mexican border on, on both sides of it, I as did. I understand. I did. Uh, tell us what you saw. You're in the uh, San Diego-Tijuana area, is that yes. right? Yes. Yeah. I went for a protest mm-hmm. uh, in San Diego. Um, and uh, after the protest with a group called Trua, another group of rabbis, <laughs> but we were there really to support the Latinx group that was leading um, the protest. And um, then the next day we went with Hayas, uh, the uh, Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society that does a lot of work mm-hmm. on the border and has been for the last 100 years, really um, helped my grandparents come here, you know, um, in the early part of the 1900s. But um, we, I, we went to Tijuana. And in Tijuana we went to two different shelters and we expected to find people who were trying to come into America. No. The people that we met, especially at the men's shelter, were people who had been deported. People who had lived in this country and paid taxes and been part of our economy that had homes and families, but because they didn't have the proper documentation for whatever reason. And, you know, a lot of people didn't get proper documentation because at one point we brought people in mm-hmm. and said, oh, you don't need papers. And so these people, a lot of these people had been in America for a long time, and, and then they had, no, and they had nothing and no place to go. So they were, those were some of the people in the shelters that you, we met. You speak of a men's shelter. Were they separating husbands and wives and putting them in separate places? Yes. There, was, uh, there were two shelters. Thank God this was a place the Catholic Church was running these shelters, and one was for men and one was for women and children. Yeah, let's talk about the children. Mm. Uh, yeah, you, well, you sigh. That's why uh, I went, you know. Th- yeah, that's what so many of us are mm-hmm. seeing and hearing about, the kids and the separation uh, of them from families. W- what did you see and your reaction to what you were seeing? When mm-hmm. I went, it was just when we were b- understanding what was happening with these family se- separations. And and now, w- you know, we know that the, our government can't even – it doesn't even have a way to find all of the children mm-hmm. that we've taken. Um, this is, we're going to pay for this for a long time. This is terrible. And, 
you know, you, you, the people in Guatemala know what's happening here. I don't think it's going to deter everybody from coming because um, they still believe and they still have family here, you know, and they still believe that there's, it's America and there, there might be some hope in America mm-hmm. and the American, you know, dream. But um, people are afraid now. And what's happened to the children is, is, is a crime. And we will, again, we will, thousands and thousands of children have been traumatized mm. because of us and our policies. And, and you know, everything that seems to happen, Don, e- every time you look at this, it's because some, somebody's making money mm. off the poor. We, we, I think that now Tornillo is being closed because enough people went to the board of the company that was providing the tents and providing the, you know, the um, outsourcing of, of, of um, uh, whatever they needed. Enough people went to the board of that company and said, if you don't close this down, you know, you're going to pay for it. And so Tornillo, I think, is, is closed down or it's being closed down um, as we speak. But um, that's what we, somebody's making a lot of money on housing these children in these terrible, terrible detention centers. They're awful. What, what are they like? Just describe what they're like. I haven't been in them, but, but the people from St. Louis, actually, there's a group from St. Louis, a wonderful group from St. Louis who have been going and are going again um, next week, actually. They're going again. They bring food and they do art projects. I heard that one thing they did was they brought a bunch of soccer balls. Hmm. They threw, they wrote notes on the soccer balls, threw them to the kids, and the kids actually threw them back with uh-huh. notes. So, you know, to let them know that there are people who care about them. Mm-hmm. There are people who care, but you know, there's kids that are crying, there's kids that are not getting the kind of um, attention that children need, mm-hmm. you know. You have a congregation. I do. And you uh, have been known to be outspoken on issues such as those we're talking about yeah. today. How are you approaching this with your congregants? Well, I did have a program um, the first Wednesday. I, I came back on a Sunday, and by Wednesday night, we did a program with the people who had gone to Tornillo, and we called it From Guatemala to Tornillo, you know, because a lot of the families there are Guatemalan. A lot of the children that are being detained are Guatemalan. And um, the, the congregation has been, I think, very uh, very generous and very supportive. And, you know, my congregation, um, I think, really understands that we have an obligation to respond to human rights violations wherever they are. You talk about the obligation. Uh, t- 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 tell me more the source of that obligation. That is really an integral part of your faith, is it not? Yes, it is. <clears throat> the portion of the Torah that we were studying when we were in, you know, I was with 15 rabbis, so <laughs> we did a lot of Torah as well, <laughs> a lot of study, a lot of prayer, you know, um, which was helpful because otherwise it's really, it's, it's hard to see that, you know. And um, the portion was about crossing the sea. And so, you know, we talked about songs of freedom. We talked about Moses leading the protest through the sea. One of the teachings that I love is the question is, what shook the knife out of Abraham's hand when he was willing to sacrifice his son, right? Let his son die. Mm-hmm. And the answer that the rabbis give is generations later, it was the holy chutzpah of those Israelites marching through the sea with their protest for something better, for a a world where people are not made less human 
slaves, right? Mm. Less human than others. And that's what happened in Guatemala. Mm. You know, this is colonialism. This is nationalism. This is um, goes back to the conquistadors, you know, of, of, of making, you know, race an issue and that some people's lives value, are valued more than others. Our, that's our just time not is, okay. Our time is just about up, Susan Tell. I like holy chutzpah. That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for being with us and sharing your experience. It's always great to talk to you. Thank that's you. That's Rabbi Susan Talvey of Central Reform Congregation. A congregation. This is St. Louis on the Air and St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.